Okay, so um, this week as I was thinking through the passage that we're going to look at, I was reminded of a situation in my life that has a lot of similarities to to what we're going to look at today. And it was a time, I would say it was one of the very difficult times in my life where there was somebody who um, was doing some things that were not good and were not healthy. And as a brother in Christ, I felt like I needed to speak into that and help this person see how they were coming off to other people and some of the, the pain and hurt that they were causing. And so no one likes to have those conversations, right? Like there's not one of us that likes to have hard, awkward conversations with people that we care about, about their life malfunctioning in one way or another. No one likes to do that. I included don't like to do that. But I felt like it was what was best for this person and the community that we were in. And so I had this conversation, and needless to say, it didn't go well. (laughs) It didn't go well. It wasn't received well. And probably, certainly, there were things that, you know, maybe didn't come out right out of my mouth. Um, but But I assure you, my heart was right, and I think it was a conversation that needed to happen, but it wasn't received well. So subsequent to that conversation then, this person started talking to other people that we both knew and were close with and kind of twisted some things in the, in the conversation and uh, kind of threw me under the bus, we'll say, right? And I felt very betrayed, so then people would come to me and, and tell me some of these things. And I felt very betrayed by that. And, and what I felt like I needed to do in that situation was then to have follow-up conversations with the people that this person had talked to to help them understand more of what I saw as the reality of, of the situation. And so I was concerned, I was Uh, worried about my reputation, frankly. Um, I was worried about what it would do to kind of the community that we were in. And so I had conversation and then follow-up conversation and then follow-up conversation and then follow-up conversation. And before long, it felt very consuming to, to me. And as time went on, um, the result of that initial conversation, all these follow-up conversations was, Um, a broken relationship with this person and also with some of the other people that this person talked to. I did my best and the relationship was broken. Relationships were broken. And so as time went on, I kind of pulled back and started just thinking about it. And I realized I had messed up. Like I realized that I had messed up. Not by having the conversation to begin with. That was the right thing, to to care for somebody enough that you speak truth to them in order to help them and in order to help the people around us. Like, that was good. But I messed up because what I found myself doing was working so hard to defend myself and so hard to correct the things that were being said that weren't actually true. 
And what I ended up doing was taking my eyes off Jesus and taking my eyes off his gospel and taking my eyes off loving other people and do because whenever you like when you when you spend time focused on something there's things that you give up right like that's that's just how it works and so i spent so much time focusing on defending myself in this situation and trying to salvage relationships and all that sort of thing that my eyes were taken off the gospel and i and i missed many opportunities i am certain of it during that time because I was distracted, betrayed, I felt betrayed. And so, so that's me, so that's, so that's my context, right? That's, that's where I find myself. You have your own context, you have your own experiences, and I'll bet you, if I asked each of you, you could have a time in your life, or maybe many times in your life, where you were betrayed by somebody where somebody rejected you, where maybe you had the best of intentions, you wanted to do the right thing, and they took what you did the wrong way, and they twisted it and manipulated it, and then they spoke about you behind your back. Like, I bet we all have situations like that. Here's my question to you. How do you respond in situations like that? Like when somebody lies about you, they assume the worst in you, that absolutely isn't true? Does it consume you? Does it distract you? Does it make you angry? Does it make you depressed? Does it make you cynical against humanity? Like, well, this is just people. This is just what people are like. That's why I don't like people. Like, how do you respond? Does it make you want to get back at the person? Well, today the passage that we're going to look at is about a guy who was wronged by other people in maybe the most significant way that you can be wronged by other people. He was betrayed, he was rejected by people that shouldn't have, kind of his own people, people that shouldn't have betrayed, shouldn't have rejected him. And he was doing the right thing, like he was somebody who absolutely 100% didn't deserve it. And what I want you to do is, like, as we jump into this, what I want you to do is I want you to think how you would respond in that situation. And I want you to see how he responded in that situation because admittedly it was really different than how I responded when I was betrayed by somebody. And then I want you to see the effects that it had on the church because the effect was profound. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna jump into it, okay? Father, thank you that we get to open up your word and we get to read these things written about literally 2,000 years ago. And yet they're still so relevant and living to our lives today. And as we look at this passage, these verses, Father, I pray that you'd convict us where we need convicted, that you'd open our heart where we need it, that you'd help us see things about ourselves and help us see things about you. So we give you this time and we pray that you'd have your way. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so why don't you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So we're going to be picking up in verse 8. So the passage that we're looking at is about somebody that we met last week. So last week, 
Uh, Tim was up here, and he looked at, we looked at the first half of Acts chapter 6. And in the first half of Acts chapter 6, we met somebody named Stephen. And so if you remember, um, they were, Stephen was one of the seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, appointed to this duty of making sure that there was an equal distribution of food for all the different widows, the Hebraic, the, the Jewish widows, and for the Grecian widows, right? So Stephen was one of them. And so although all, all seven of them seemed like good, godly men, Stephen was the only one, I don't know if you caught this last week, Stephen was the only one that, that said specifically, there's a little additional description for him that said he was a man who was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. All of them were good, godly men. Stephen was especially good and godly. He was somebody who was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, when you get to uh, verse 8, which we're going to look at here in just a second, Stephen is the first person in the New Testament that does miraculous things outside of the 12 apostles. So we, we see lots of that, them doing these things after Jesus. But Stephen is the first one outside of them. In fact, it says he, does great, he did great wonders and miraculous works. Right? And so Stephen was a special guy. Right? So, so here's the plan this morning. So this morning is a, is a Stephen morning. So we're going to attempt to look at the second part of Acts chapter 6 and then all of Acts chapter 7. Because it's, it's, so it's a lot of verses, admittedly. It's a lot of verses. Um, but it's all the same story. It's all part of the same story of Stephen. And we won't have time to read all of the verses. Um, I'll comment on them. But I have homework for you if you choose to accept it. So my students here, if you choose, you're used to homework. If you choose to accept it, here's my encouragement, is to read this this week slowly and ask the Lord what he wants you to learn from the life of Stephen, what he wants you to learn from the lives of the men that ultimately would take his life, and what he wants you to learn about Jesus. Because Stephen, it's so cool, in many ways, Stephen and Jesus have a lot of parallels. Stephen is, is kind of a Jesus, kind of a messianic figure in some ways here in the New Testament as well. So as I look at these verses, I split them up. So it's a large chunk, just how I think. I'm like an organizational thinker. I, I like to split them up kind of categorically, right? And so this is a lot of verses. And what I did was, go ahead and go to that next slide there. What I did was I gave you just a little sentence that explains the chunk of verses. So I broke it into four chunks. The first one is essentially the second half of chapter 6. And in that, what happens is Stephen had his words twisted, was unjustly treated, and was seized to be tried. So you'll see it. He was betrayed by people. They twisted his words, and they seize him, and they try him. They kind of put him on a trial. The next section is the biggest section. It's most of chapter 7. And in this section, Stephen lays out a brief history of Israel's rejection of God's faithfulness and plan. So if, you're ever, if, you're, if somebody ever asks you, like, what is the message of the Old Testament, one of the easy ways that you could explain that to somebody is actually bring them to these verses. Stephen does an amazing job of kind of unfolding the Old Testament um, out and, and helping you see God's faithfulness and God's plan throughout and how it all sort of culminates in Jesus. So that's those verses. The next one is uh, 51 to 53. I wrote, with sternness and compassion, Stephen condemns the Jewish leader's continued rejection of God. And you'll see this. We'll look at that here in a little bit. And then the last one, if you don't know the story, it's an awful story. It's an awful ending to the story. Stephen is stoned, 
but he's stoned asking God to forgive his murderers. Literally, literally, they're killing him, and he prays that God would not hold this against them. And so Stephen is, Stephen is an amazing person. So with each of these four uh, points, I have a takeaway for you. So part of our challenge is, you know, this is written 2,000 years ago. We didn't live in first century Jerusalem. We have to bring it into our context, what it looks like in our lives 2,000 years ago. And so for each one of these, I have a, a takeaway that just as I've been studying, I feel like God kind of rubbed into my heart that I'll share with you for each of these as well. Does it make sense? Okay, so, so here we go. Let's jump into it. So Acts 6, hopefully you're there. Verse 8, so this is the, the heading there was Stephen had his words twisted and was unjustly treated and seized to be tried. Here it is, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Those are the miraculous things. First one outside of the apostles to do that. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. We'll stop right there. So not much is known about this specific synagogue, the synagogue of the free men. But in general, a synagogue, if you're unfamiliar, was just a Jewish place of prayer and worship with specific leaders. So it's kind of the equivalent, the, the Jewish equivalent to our churches, right, in many ways. And so if you're reading the Old Testament, you actually see nothing about synagogues in the Old Testament. It was all about Israel and ultimately the temple, like that was their thing. And so sometime between the end of the Old Testament, about 450 B.C., to the beginning of the New Testament, there sprung up this kind of network of synagogues, of local places of worship and prayer with local leaders where, people, where Jewish people could connect, where the nation of Israel essentially could connect with God. Does that make sense? So in general, that's what a synagogue was. The synagogue of the freedmen, we don't know a whole lot, but likely they would have been uh, folks that were slaves that had gained their freedom or the descendants of slaves who had gained their freedom. That's where freedmen comes from. But what's more important beyond that, what's more important is that these were Greek-speaking Jews, Okay? Or Hellenistic, if you remember your Western Civ classes. Hellenistic Jews, right? They were Greek-speaking Jews that began to oppose Stephen, who was also a Greek-speaking Jew, right? That's Stephen's background as well. They obviously weren't Christian like he was. They weren't Christian Greek-speaking Jews, but they were Greek-speaking Jews. And so, in a sense, the point is, in a sense, they were kind of his people, right? Like, I imagine these being maybe people that he grew up with in this crowd that were starting to dispute with him. They would have been kind of like his brothers in many ways, or at least of the same ethnicity as him. And so in many ways, like these are his people that start disputing with him. Look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated, which, you know, understand that, that there is nefarious intent there, right? They secretly instigated, they secretly got together with the purpose of doing him harm, okay? They secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, the Jewish ruling council, that's the Sanhedrin, and they set up false witnesses who said, 
This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, talking about the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And then it says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Which is interesting. So what's happening here? Well, it's kind of a witch hunt, right? Like these, these people that were kind of his people were all of a sudden betraying him and twisting things that he said and twisting things that Jesus said and lying about him and spreading lies to others and ganging up on him with the purpose of bringing him down, of destroying him. By the way, doesn't this sound familiar? Like, doesn't this sound, when, when, uh, when I was reading this, one of the first things that came to my mind was that sounds an awful lot like the night that Jesus was betrayed, right? Like, there's these false accusations. The religious leaders gather together. They twist his words, and ultimately they're ganging up on him with the purpose of taking his life, of destroying him. And so in, in Stephen, you see a lot of these parallels, which is interesting. And notice how Stephen responds to this. His face was like the face of an angel. What does that look like? Like, I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting yesterday in my kitchen. I was at my kitchen table. I was working on this stuff. My son was, my son was cooking in the other room, or in the other side of the kitchen. We're just quiet. He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm like, hey, Luke, what do you think the face of an angel looks like? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, seriously, like, what does the face of an angel look like? I was like, does it look like this? <laughs> like, I don't know what that looks like. In fact, I'd love to see your angel faces right now. Like, what does the face of an angel look like? I don't know what it looks like. But the point is innocence, right? The point is holiness. And I think about myself, like, if I put myself in his shoes, my face would not be looking like the face of an angel, right? Like my face would be looking angry or my face would be looking frustrated at what, he, at what was happening around me. But notice Stephen's posture. Stephen is sitting there quietly before, again, like the parallels to Jesus are, are pretty remarkable. He sits there and he listens to what they say with the face of an angel. And so when I read this section, here's my first takeaway. When I read this section, this is what jumps out to me. Sometimes we experience injustice, betrayal, and rejection when we're trying to walk faithfully with God. Sometimes we experience betrayal, rejection, and injustice when we're trying to walk faithfully with God. That's true, right? And we've seen that already, just in our short look in the book of Acts, we've seen that already multiple times here. Like, imagine how you would feel in Stephen's shoes. Again, part of our challenge is to take what's written here 2,000 years ago and, like, jump into it and feel what's happening. And then we jump into our life and we bring it into our context and how we would respond and what we should learn from it. Imagine you were in Stephen's shoes. Like, you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you've been set free, you've been you're being transformed by Jesus. You're so excited to help other people experience the same thing. And humbly, filled with God's spirit and his grace and his power, you set out to help other people experience all those same things. And as you do that, what happens? 
your own people betray you. Like your own people start to tell lies against you. They don't like where you're going. They don't like how you're different from them. They don't like what you're saying about them and the implications that it means on their lives. And so they start telling, they have nefarious intent. They start telling lies about you and twist things because they want to destroy you. Like, what would you do in that situation? Like, if you were Stephen, how would you react? How would you respond? What would you say? Like, try to imagine yourself in that scenario. Would you be tempted to defend yourself the way that I was tempted to, the way that I did defend myself in my earlier story? How about bring it into your life today? Like, how do you respond in your life when you experience injustice, personal injustice? Maybe when you're betrayed by somebody. I think that's one of the top three worst feelings that we can feel in this life. When somebody that you love and care for and trust betrays you and stabs you in the back. Like, imagine a scenario in your life where that happens, you're rejected. Like, what do you do? How do you respond when you're trying to do maybe the right thing and you're trying to do it the right way? Because it doesn't just happen 2,000 years ago. This happens to us today as well, right? I want you to see how Stephen responds here. So in, in verse 1 of the next chapter, of chapter 7, the high priest asks him, he says, are these things so? So Stephen is sharing. He's doing miraculous things, right? He's sharing about Jesus they don't like it. His own people will start to gang up on him, twist things that he say, tell lies about him with the purpose of bringing him down. And the chief priest says to him, so is this true? Is this what you've done? And then you get to that, kind of that second section there. So my, my summary of that second section. So this is the long section that we're not going to have time to read together. Again, I really encourage you. This is a great kind of summary or overview of the Old Testament. So verses 2 to 50, it says, Stephen lays out a brief history of Israel's rejection of God's faithfulness and plan. So, so what he says here, this is, what I want, this is what I want you to get. What he says here, I encourage you to read it, and what he doesn't say here is really, really telling. It's really, really something that we can learn from this. Essentially, what he says, if I could just summarize it in a couple sentences in these verses, essentially what he says after these men are twisting his words and telling lies about them, where he goes in response is to talk about how kind and gracious and faithful God was to the nation of Israel and how continuously resistant and obstinate the nation of Israel was in response. And ultimately, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, and he is the fulfillment of God's plan for that nation, and he's the fulfillment of God's plan for our world. That's Stephen's response. Again, imagine how you would respond in his shoes. People are saying awful things about you. If they're found to be true, you know that there is certain death coming. His response is to tell them about the goodness and faithfulness of the God that loves them and how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has planned. That's amazing. That's where he goes. Where he doesn't go, what he doesn't do is say anything about himself. He doesn't defend himself one bit here. 
He corrects some of their lies and misunderstandings by explaining the Old Testament more clearly, right? But I don't think he does that to defend himself in any way. I don't think that's about him at all. I think that's about them. I think it was for them. And so he talks to them about Abraham and God's faith, God choosing Abraham and developing, building this nation that would have a special, a unique, intimate relationship with him, unlike any other nation on the planet. He talks to them about Joseph and God's plan for Joseph to rescue kind of this this young, tiny pre-nation of Israel, which really was Joseph's family, but God's plan to rescue them by, by this calling that he had chosen Joseph for and his brother's rejection of it, sell him into slavery, get rid of him, we don't like him, right? He talks about Moses. Moses, again, he's another one of those messianic figures, somebody that God had chosen to save his people right, to remove his people, to bring them out of oppressive Egypt. And all along the way, as God empowers and calls Moses to do this, what do the people do to him? Reject him. Don't want to follow him. Grumble against him. And really, they were rejecting God. Talks about Joshua and David and Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. That's the one that God chose to be the king of this nation. Like, that's how much God loved them and cared for them and was faithful to them. In beautiful ways, Stephen, I mean, just take this in. Think about this in your own life. Instead of defending himself in the face of awful accusations that would lead to his certain demise, what does he do instead? He talks about God's faithfulness and his goodness to this people, his plan to this people. He lovingly shares with them that which would lead them to salvation if they would accept it, if they would turn to Jesus. So, so I read that. Again, I challenge you to read it. I read that and I ponder that. And here's my takeaway. Israel had a long history of God's faithfulness and plan for them, and so do we. Israel had a long history of God's faithfulness and plan for them, and so do we. Not only do I learn from Stephen's focus on, you know, not defending himself but helping people experience Jesus, I look at his words and how God was so good to this nation that was rebellious against them and the plan that he ultimately had for them. And I pull back and I go, he's faithful to me too. He's got a plan for my life too. And listen, he's got a plan for your life too. Right? Like maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Do you believe that? Like he's got a plan for you. It doesn't, it doesn't always end up the way that we want it to. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Sometimes we want something so bad and when we don't get it, we look at God and we go, I'm not following you. I'm doing things my own way, right? Listen, if you, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. God loves you, and he is faithful to you. There's a beautiful promise. In fact, Tom alluded to it earlier in his prayer. There's a beautiful promise in Romans chapter 3 that even when we're unfaithful, God remains faithful. Even in our weakness and our rebellion and our unfaithfulness, he remains faithful to us that love him, that trust him, that submit to him. 
So God is a, just as he had a plan for Israel and faithfulness to them, he has a plan for you and for me as well. I encourage you to pause and consider that. Look back at verse 51. So this is the next chunk here. I summarized it. I said, with sternness and compassion, Stephen condemns the Jewish leaders' continued rejection of God. With sternness and compassion, Stephen condemns the Jewish leaders' continued rejection of God. Look at verse 51. Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, that's Jesus. They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of Jesus, whom you now have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. What's he saying here? He's saying, look at our history. You're acting just like our ancestors. You're so stubborn. You're so rebellious. God's prophets announced this centuries ago. And you're rejecting Jesus just like our ancestors rejected the messages of the prophets. And, and, and like whereas in previous verses, again, I, we didn't look at the first part of chapter 7. But in those previous verses there, Stephen kind of methodically and precisely and what feels like calmly explains God's faithfulness and Israel's rejection. Now, he seems fired up, right? I mean, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. He seems fired up to me, like passionate. But I challenge you, don't hear that as angry. I don't think he was angry. Don't hear that as out of control. I don't think he was out of control. I don't think that was his demeanor. I think he felt such love and concern for these people, for the souls of these people, that he knew that this was his last chance in spite of being accused by them in awful ways. I think he realized this would be his last chance to speak truth to them and to challenge them to turn from the ways that they were living, the things that they were doing, and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. I think he was so fired up that they, this is it for him, that they would turn to him. And so my takeaway is really a question for me and for you. It's this. Am I resisting the Holy Spirit and stubbornly rejecting the God who loves me? Am I resisting the Holy Spirit and stubbornly rejecting the God who loves me. Did you catch that in verse 51? Stephen says, you, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. They resisted. So, so see the contrast here. Stephen was one who was full of the Spirit. These are the ones who are resisting the Spirit. Right? There's an there's a intentional contrast. God was faithful. God had a plan for them. And they resisted the Holy Spirit of God. Here's my question to you. What might that look like in our lives today? Like, think about your life. In what ways are you tempted to resist the Spirit's influence, the Spirit's leadership, the Spirit's calling in your life? Like, for them in the Old Testament, it, it often caused them to, to look to false idols. For, for us, it looks different, right? Like, what does it look like for you in your life to resist the Holy Spirit? I can tell you what it looks like at times in my life. It looks like holding on to unforgiveness 
when I know I should forgive when I should forgive somebody. That's what it looks like for me sometimes. I can tell you at other times, it looks like instead of being a peacemaker, I act more like an instigator and I stir the pot. At other times, resisting the Holy Spirit for me looks a little bit more like relying on myself instead of being dependent on the God of the universe who's faithful and has a plan for me and who loves me. For me, sometimes it looks like lacking faith. Like God is trustworthy. He's proven himself to me time and time and time again. And yet at times, I don't trust him. There's a lack that's resisting the spirit in my life. How about neglecting God in the face of temptation and giving in to that temptation instead of relying on God to provide a way out and then taking that way out? That's resisting the Holy Spirit. How about ignoring God when he convicts us of sin instead of responding to God and turning toward him in repentance? That's, that's resisting the Spirit. You fill in the blank. What does it look like in your life to resist the Holy Spirit? And, and maybe as I say this, maybe some of you this morning feel convicted by this. And you go, well, am I resisting the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, I am. If I'm honest, I am. I was remembering this week, I think I shared with you the last time I was up here when I was 20 is when I turned my life over to the Lord. So after my sophomore year of college, and I just was remembering late high school, early college, I believed in God. I remember at night I would kneel at the side of my bed and pray, often after making terrible decisions. And I remember praying to God, the audacity of this, I remember praying to God, I'm just not ready to stop doing these things yet. I was enjoying them too much. I wasn't ready to follow him. I resisted him. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. And I could feel his conviction. Like I could, I could feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but I resisted until I could resist him no more. And maybe that's you this morning. Like maybe as you process through this, you're like, if I'm honest, that's where I've been. Listen, I want to tell you, today could be the day that changes everything for you. My God is so gracious. He's, he's so patient. He's so kind. He's so forgiving. I really encourage you, if that's you today, if you answer that question, um, am I resisting the Holy Spirit, stubbornly rejecting the God who loves me? Yes. If you answer it, yes. Today can change the rest of your life. Right? Look at the last part of our passage. Look at verse 54. I summarized it. I said, Stephen is stoned, asking God to forgive his murderers. Let me read it to you. This is verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. So, he said, you know, what he said to them was, stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, da 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 Jesus is the fulfillment. You killed him. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I, I, I mean, I read that and I'm like, it's so sad. You know, it, like if you put yourself in the situation and you imagine what Stephen would have been like and what he just walked through, like he didn't do anything wrong. He was changed by Jesus. He experienced new life and transformation and he's sharing it with his people, with his brothers and sisters and they don't like it and they don't wanna hear it. And so they say all these things against him and ultimately they take his life and, and, and leading up to it, he didn't try to defend himself at all. He just wanted them to know. Like, I read that, and I'm like, I, it's so sad. Like, it's so sad. And, and notice, by the way, Saul in this passage, also known as Paul. It's the same person, Saul, Paul, among the crowd. This is the first time that we're introduced to Paul. Much of the rest of the book is about Paul's transformation the transformation of a man who at the very least was an accomplice to murder. Right? I don't know if he ever picked up any stone and threw it, but he was at least an accomplice to murder. This is our first instance with Saul. We'll see him in subsequent weeks. But I read this, and here, here's my takeaway. It's my last one. Sometimes God's defense and provision for us looks different than expected, but he's still faithful, and we can trust him. Sometimes... God's provision for us and defense of us looks different than what we expect it to be or what we hope it to be, but he's still faithful. Stephen didn't defend himself in the face of trials. He depended on God to be his defender and provider, and he loved Jesus with everything he had, and he loved people enough to beg God, to beg that they would turn from their sin and that they would follow Jesus. And, and, and what is the result? His death. And I, and I read that, and I'm like, it's, it's a terrible tragedy, right? It's a terrible tragedy. And I also think, and it feels like such a waste of a life. Like, God, why do you do this? Like, why do you allow this to happen? He could have been used in great ways for your glory. Like, why do you allow these things to happen? Why do you allow tragedies to happen in our life today? This past week, I was at a funeral of a friend of mine that passed away way too young, and he left two young boys. And his wife, I did her funeral, their mother, about four or five years ago. And so now these boys, eighth grade and third or fourth grade, have no mom and they have no dad. And I think, why? Why do you allow these sort of things to happen? And listen, I won't presume to have all of the answers, and there's certainly not a nice, tidy little one-sentence answer that's gonna satisfy our hearts with that question. But I will encourage us with this. So on Wednesday, on Wednesdays, we do a little sermon discussion thing, and so we gather some of the staff together, and whoever is preaching shares kind of where they're going, and you get feedback and stuff. And um, Pastor Bob Schneider is in uh, that meeting, by the way, have I told you how happy I am to have Pastor Bob Schneider back on staff? I'm very happy to have Bob back. But in that meeting, we were looking at these verses, and Bob 
pointed our attention to just a few chapters later and it was really encouraging and I, wanna, and I wanna read it to you. So this is chapter 11. I didn't put a slide up, I'm sorry. I'll read it to you. It's chapter 11, verse 19. This is, this is what it says. Now those that were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, that should sound familiar, Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Listen, we'll see this in future weeks when we look at this. But after Stephen was murdered, the church had to scatter outside of Jerusalem. It no longer became safe for them to stay in Jerusalem. And so they kind of went off in all directions to uh, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And, and did you catch that some of the men went out from, uh, that went out were from Cyrene, which that's where some of the men that stoned Stephen were from, was Cyrene, right? And the Lord used them to help a great number of people turn to Jesus. And listen, admittedly, I don't know if any of those men, when the scattering happened, if any of those men that went out that were from Cyrene, I don't know if any of them had stones in their hands and were stoning Stephen. I don't know. In my mind, I like to think so. That at some point they repented, they saw what they did and repented and went out. I can't prove that. But what I do know is the result of Stephen's death and the persecution that happened in Jerusalem and everybody had to spread out, what it meant was many, many, many more people came to know Jesus and be saved. Which is exactly what Stephen wanted. And it was exactly what God wanted. And it reminds me of another thing that another one of those men who was there during the stoning said at a later point, Paul, he was there holding the coats. Later in Romans 8, he writes, and we know that those who love God, for those that love God, all things work together for good and that for those who are called according to his purposes. As I think about that, I think, you know, we don't always experience God's provision and defense for us in ways that we hope and expect. But listen, he is trustworthy and good, and his ways are higher than our ways. And he brings beauty from ashes, and he brings hope from despair. And even in the worst tragedies that we see in this life, like Stephen, God somehow in his power, his omnipotence, his faithfulness, his goodness, even in those worst things, God can work good for us. So my challenge, my encouragement to you is no matter what you face, no matter what God calls you to walk through, let's keep our focus on him, to not be distracted, keep our focus on him and helping other people experience the transforming work of the gospel. Lord, that's my prayer for us this morning. God, I don't understand why you allow many of the things to happen that happen in this world. I don't understand, and it hurts, and it's painful. We all experience it at certain times and certain ways, and we all hate it 
And yet, God, we also know that you're good. And we also know that you're faithful. And we also know that you have plans for us and that you love us. And somehow, some way, even in the worst of times, you work good through them for those of us that trust you and submit our lives to you. So, Father, my prayer is that when we walk through hard things, maybe it's betrayal, maybe it's injustices, maybe it's rejection by people, when we're just trying to do the right thing, we're just trying to follow you faithfully. God, when those times come, may we depend on you to be our defender, to be our provider. May we not lose focus from your gospel, from helping people ex experiencing who you are. May you be our focus and our hope no matter what comes our way. We trust you with that, God. In Christ's name, amen.